0: Yo 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 yo! This is Nancy Giles on the Giles Files, right in tune with my ukulele.
1: Joy Reid or Jackie Reid? Joy Reid and Jackie. Oh, they Reed. have the a show. They have a, they have a podcast. Well, I did their podcast, mm-hmm. right? Before you did the Giles Files? <laughs>
0: what the? Okay, we are going to cut this down. That's bull... bull. I've known you since 1987. That's bull an outrage! Welcome to The Giles Files. I'm Nancy Giles and that is my close personal friend, the wonderful actor Michael Boatman. You know Mike as one of the stars of The Good Fight on CBS All Access and from tons of TV series from China Beach and Spin City on ABC to Arliss on HBO, Instant Mom on TV Land and Anger Management with Charlie Sheen on FX, and he's been in movies like Hamburger Hill, The Glass Shield, The Peacemaker, among other movies, and dig this, he's a theater actor, and he's a writer. This dude is a renaissance man. We're going to kick off this interview with questions by our producer Nancy Wyatt where did you meet Nancy? Oh. What was she like? Oh. And a funny story for China Beach. All right, China Saturday. Beach
1: thing. Nancy hates when I tell this story. So I had just moved to New York in 1987. From where? From Chicago. I had one film under my belt. It was Hamburger Hill. And I'm in New York because I had an agent in New York and that's what they said. You got to leave Chicago you got to go to New York or LA and real real actors go to New York and so that's you know I just got out of college drama school all of it so I get to New York I'm thinking oh I'm on my way you know I've got this movie under my belt and then I didn't get another job for six seven months of course so I had to do horrible day jobs what you know like every other struggling young actor but I did get to audition so one of the auditions I had was for a play at the Young Playwrights Festival. At Playwrights Horizons. At Playwrights Horizons, the wonderful Playwrights Horizons, called Tiny Mommy, (laughs) right? It was a modern sort of urban retelling of the nativity, of the story of the birth of Jesus. And and the role I was auditioning for was Joseph. So I go in and I, I audition. And somewhere in that process, I see this very tall, statuesque, beautiful, annie hall dressed type woman she had the hat with the long coat and the and i love annie hall and I, you know all of that stuff so i'm like who's that who's that interesting woman and i don't think we auditioned in the same room
0: no i don't think right so. i don't think, I think we saw each of other thing. in the waiting room. Of,
1: right and we may have only been like the only two black people there or something like that <laughs> but anyway somehow we struck up a a, a small conversation at the time.
0: Well, I remember one of the things was that you had just moved from Chicago yeah. and I had been in Chicago because of second, second city, city. Right. And I, so I was really bonding with you on that right, about right. how Chicago's a really cool place. Yeah, I was able to get my union cards and oh, yada, yada. Gosh. So talkity, talkity, talk. And I was obsessed
1: because I had never had the courage to audition for second city. I was, I did, you know, improv and sketch shows in, at school, but that just seemed like another world to me. And so here's Nancy, who was a member of the company, like one of the first people I ever met who was, you know, from at Second City. And so that, I think, probably <laughs> is why we, we really started talking. So then a few weeks go by, <laughs> and I'm walking into Actors' Equity, the Actors' Equity building on, where West is it? 46th West 46th Street. West 46th Street, thank you.
0: They have a famous lounge where they would post actor notices right. you know audition information and a place where actors between auditions and stuff could just kind of hang out
1: it was actually the best because you'd go up there people smoked indoors this is the 80s and you'd see, you know, you'd see old actors who you knew from TV shows growing up as a kid just hanging out looking for auditions, or talking about whatever, and you know, oh my god, When's it, the last
0: time you were sent out? Yeah, oh I my haven't god. been out. You the know, business
1: sucks. Right. I think I saw like Jerry Orbach in there once from Law and Order. I mean, you know it was that so walking in that uh, me, this kid from Chicago, it was like Whoa, I really, I've arrived, I'm here, look at, I'm in New York, and I'm with all these old actors, and it's the greatest thing, but this is pre-internet as well, so this, so you'd go in there to check if you were looking for an apartment, remember? Right. Uh, needed one sublets. roommate, sublets, yeah. all of that stuff. So I was going, I was coming out of Actors' Equity, <laughs> and it was a beautiful, like, it was it was spring, it maybe, was. it wasn't summer, it was no. like spring. Beautiful, gorgeous, one of those bright, gorgeous, sunny New York days, and here comes Black Annie Hall. You you know, Uh, it's Nancy, and it's like, oh, hey, it's you. Hi, you, girl, girl from audition. Yeah, and you're like, oh yeah, and I remember you, and and we're talking, we're catching up. Did you get that part? And I think we both had gotten the parts by then. I think so, but we we didn't know, right. right? Yeah. So here we are. We're talking. Oh my god! And like. In a weird way Nancy other than the guys that I worked with on this film you were like one of the first people I met in New York. Aww. Truly that I connected with. That makes me happy. <laughs> it's true. And so we're just talking, oh what are you doing? What's happening? Have you did you hear about the play? I don't know what's going on and all of a sudden Nancy <laughs> Child's eyes roll up into the back of her head and she says, "I you know I uh, uh and she Hits the floor, absolutely faints dead away right in front of me. And I, what? What do I, who? I don't, I did not know what to, I sort of bent down. Are you okay? Are you all right? What's happening? What's wrong? <laughs> and she immediately kind of comes back and she's like, oh, you know, she's sort of vague and, oh, I, I didn't eat this morning. I, I don't, you know, I'm like, oh my God, do you need, do you need to go to the hospital? Do you need me to call? Did we even have 911 then? I don't when know. When did 911 one We didn't have cell phones. Yeah, oh, there was no there cell was no phone. Cell That's phone. right. This is 80, 87, 87. I think you even said maybe it had happened before and you had low blood sugar or something.
0: I was probably making up <laughs> stuff at that point. Like, how embarrassing. Please go away. But I mean, you helped me up. Yes. You didn't leave me. You made sure I was okay. Right. You were like, yeah. are you okay? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> in those days, I think, I, I don't know, but yeah, we were in our 20s and I yes. can remember distinctly. Being on the run and going to auditions and doing stuff like that and not remembering to eat. To eat yeah. That's something that would never happen to me now. Yeah, I love yeah, food. Right, of I love
1: my food. And also, you know, no money. For me, I, I was working part-time as a security guard. It was great because I had it was the midnight to eight shift and I could audition during the day. But, you know, a paycheck was, you know, a couple hundred bucks and rent. Rent and then, took everything. So a pizza for me at the end of the week was what... Was nutrition basically, and a bowl of uh, grape nuts, grape, grape nuts, nuts that are like rocks. <laughs> grape nuts. A bowl of grape nuts can last. By the way, starving actors take note for weeks. You because it's so dense. You just eat a little. You don't want to eat a whole lot now, especially when you're already thin and undernourished, because everything will you know go through you. You'll lose it all. So grape nuts and a pizza once a week. That was nutrition for me. So I I got it. I, I know. understood. And, but then, you know, she sort of got, you know, tottered to her feet, and I helped her pick up her stuff and rearrange her gray, long Doctor Who coat and <laughs> <laughs> her scarf, wrapped it around, and, and she sort of tottered off into the city, and I remember thinking, oh, what just happened? I... Yeah. And then we worked on this play together. Which was great. Which was great, and that's where we really became friends, and there were actually a lot of other sort of... Actors who kind of went on to become sort of notable folks with Cynthia Nixon and
0: Cynthia was in it. Ming-na, Ming-Na, Ming-Na Wen, Ming-Na
1: Wen at the time, yeah. Oliver Platt, Mary Kennedy. Testa was also Mary winning. Testa, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Tony Award Mary nominee, twice. that's right. Oh, yeah. my gosh. So and you know, we just stayed friends forever.
0: Did you get cast for China Beach right after that play? 87, 88. It was yes. the beginning. Of, yeah. Yes.
1: I did the, the pilot, pilot in the and first the, season. Right. First six episodes, first I think something they something like yeah. that. Yeah.
0: It was a two-hour yeah. special and then six episodes. Yeah, the I know movie. because my friend Michael was on it and so I watched. Right. So in the summer of 88, <laughs> there was a writer's strike.
1: That's right. That's right. And they
0: lost Chloe Webb, who was... Yeah. Uh, and they were looking to replace that role. Yeah. And... I happened to be fortunate enough to get an audition for China Beach, but they said, we don't have any scripts. We can't bring scripts legally because of the writer's strike. So we just want to meet and talk to people. So I was like, you know, luckily I didn't faint, but I was like chatty, 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 (laughs) (laughs) you know, just chatted and I think they taped it. And then I met him again and they'd made the script out of some of the stuff that I told them. Oh, wow. Yeah. Some of my own material.
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah. I never and then, knew that.
0: Well, if I don't think if they'd handed me a script, I would have gotten
1: it. I'm not good at those auditions. Mm, yeah.
0: And then I got it, and then I called you That's and you right. were at work that day. I was I think.
1: actually at work and I may have actually been sitting in a Jeep because <laughs> it was ironic because China Beach, which was a Vietnam War era show for the listeners oh, yeah. who And I get this call from Nancy and she goes, I'm gonna be on your show. And I went, What? I'm going to be on your show. I'm going to be regular on your show, and it was like, and we did like this sort of same thing that we did in the Actors Equity, where we sort of jumped yeah, up yeah, and down yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, "We yeah. have a job. We're working."
1: And... and you said to me at the time, "I'm only worried about one thing. and the first scene I'm in, I have to drive a jeep, and I don't know how to drive."
0: Whoa! Which way's major garages? Her room right there I want the name of her decorator
1: try Mars I thought that's where I was it's that mode. first
0: scene with the jeep which it's pretty comic but it's real like
1: yeah. I'm tra- shifting gears <laughs> And I almost I hit the to camera. have to look at that again. Oh, it's crazy. Oh, my God, I have yeah. to look at that scene again. Because yeah. it was manual, right? Yes, you wouldn't it was. And you wouldn't have learned how to drive no, a manual. it automatic. That
0: oh. Yeah, it was a nightmare.
1: Oh, God. Very that funny. It is a nightmare, but hilarious. Yeah. And so it's just one of those things where you just have these kismet moments where you think, okay, this person is somehow supposed to be in my life. Or I'm supposed to be in their life. Or we're in each other's lives. You know what I mean? Because we keep coming around and coming around in in these very, and Nancy and I always bonded on I think also being two black nerdy kids who like drama and books and and didn't fit in kind right of with in our a lot with our places. quote unquote
0: our own people. You know, yeah. you act white, you talk white, that yeah, kind of the crap. We both thing. large families, lots yeah. of stories. Michael's always been a really funny storyteller, <laughs> just hilarious <laughs> things that he would do in the makeup room that would just cause havoc. Oh my god! A great imitation of Shelley Winters in uh, well, you were in saying Lolita. That. Well, it's uh, the scene wait, in wait, Lo- I have to remember. It's I'll tell you what scene yes, it's please. the scene in Lolita right after she realizes that Humbert has been writing about her
1: and keeping this show, right. and oh. she's like. Oh,
0: the 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 the, the so yes, woman. I'm the, she, uh, the I'm fat, the, and yeah. you know
1: she's been Shelly Winters is is rejected because she's hoping for this, yeah. and Humber, he's in love right? with her and daughter. He's in love with the daughter, so he it's, marries her to be near the says, daughter. I'm the I'm the 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 I can't remember the oh latest last The name? babbling Baba. Yeah, yeah. The
2: Hayes yeah. woman. <laughs> the cow. The obnoxious mama. The brainless Baba. <laughs> Well,
0: the stupid haze is no longer your dupe. Oh, okay. you <laughs> scream <laughs> out the window! Now let's discuss this. Let's yeah. not, oh. uh, the so and so. Get out of here! It was, oh the my great god. Great
1: Shelley Winters, man. Just <laughs> unbelievable.
0: There's a famous Shelley Winters story of her going to an audition, and we're experiencing this now. She was auditioning for people who were younger and didn't know her. And they were, like, asking her about her credits. And she opened a bag and pulls out one Oscar and pulls out the second Oscar and stares at them, and she says, there are some people who
1: think I can act.
0: Mm. And it's like, I remember that just,
1: Oh, it's the best. And a friend of mine, the great Richard Kind, he told me once, you should always talk to old actors every time. If you see an old actor that you love, you should say it because they probably don't hear it enough. And da 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 da. And I was like, Rich, come on! But he's kind of right. Yeah. He is. And to remind you, yeah, with the first time
0: we were at the yeah. Emmy Awards for *China Beach*, mm. we ran around. We did. Tell like, James Earl Jones how much we loved him. Yeah. We were like, there he is. We we didn't care. We were like running around. <laughs> no. Mr. Mr. Earl, I think I even said Mr. Earl Mr. Jones. Mr. Earl Jones. No, but we crouched by his table right. and told him. Oh. So
1: I, I agree with Richard. You, how could you not? Yeah, I mean, he was
0: very nice. Super gracious.
1: Yeah. And Richard did say this once. And I, and I, at the time, I didn't really believe him, but it kind of makes sense. He said, name the most famous actor you can think of. And I said, Tom Cruise. He said, one day, no one will know who he is. And I thought... No, come on, no. But it's kind of just time. My kids, who are all, the oldest is 23, the youngest is 15, have no connection to Tom Cruise. Wow. They know what? Yeah, they know wow. vaguely. I, I think they know his name, maybe. But they don't have any sort of, like, He's that actor. Maybe it might be that much. Isn't it true? Well, they'll know like Vin Diesel
0: or yes. somebody. They'll
1: know a new Someone crop. Someone who's of relevant action. to them, right? Yeah. But that's different because our generation, we grew up with old movies, so we, did. we knew who everybody was. We, we took you know? pride in that. Absolutely. Well, that's all we had. All we had were old movies and reruns and TV, and so it's just a very weird time now because everything yeah. is so specifically sort of like Program. generational. Yeah. yeah. So the show I'm on right now is we do ten episodes. The very of excellent, the good fight. The good fight. Yes.
0: We love it. Four, right? Yes, we. Thank are. God. Ah. It is no. It's oh, fantastic. Good. It is. Fan. Oh
1: my gosh! Wow. Can I just say what I think is disgusting Julius, about this whole please, thing, man? Please, you're all practically rabid with anticipation. I have a lot of friends who are Republicans, and they all had that same gleam in their eye whenever they talked about impeaching Obama. Oh, you're don't. not going to compare Obama to Trump. And I'll say to you the same thing I said to them. The voter has the right to be wrong. I mean, You don't like Trump? Too bad. He was voted into office. Not by the majority. By the rules agreed upon by Democrats and Republicans. He is our president. If you don't like him, vote him out in 2020. So they've got characters of
0: color. They've got characters with different sexualities. Mm -hmm. They've got, it's just, it's so powerful to have an all black law firm with white people there. Yeah. They've got the great Christine Baranski, who I love how she dresses too. I love her clothes. Do you
1: know there are entire subcultures devoted to how she dresses? No. Diane, uh, there's websites that, that talk about what her character wore. You can, from the good wife to today, and it's all because of the brilliant Dan Lawson, who is the designer from both shows. And he makes us all look great, but boy, oh boy.
0: So please talk about your character because he's, uh, he's yes. kind of diametrically opposed to And some to very the interesting
1: person. things are happening this season. Just so you know, okay, I can't give with, it away. Okay, start with tell us your character's so name. So my character's name is Julius Kane. He's a lawyer. He's a partner at okay. the law firm. He's the managing partner, so he's not a name partner, but um, he's the guy that sort of keeps the machine oiled and running and that sort of thing, as well as sort of taking part in all the kind of big firm decisions um, with Delroy Lindo and Audra, Audra McDonald and Christine uh, Baranski's character. So we're the four sort of main partners. He also happens to be, as was revealed in the first season, the firm's only out-and-public um republican conservative and uh at the time trump supporter okay understand that when this first happened this was a character that i had played on the good wife many times over the years um but there was never any mention of his politics Aha! Uh-huh. never
0: so how did you react when you found out horrified. this
1: <laughs> i was horrified robert king came up to me and he said, "Well, you know, we've got some interesting things coming up for you." And I said, oh, "Any actor loves to hear that from the yeah. executive producer." Oh, yeah. Well, what are, Well, we're 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 thinking you're a Trump supporter. And, you know, <laughs> something sort of closed in my throat. What he when what are you saying? I had no I had no problem with him being a conservative or him being even a Republican. I, I sort of, my actor's brain immediately could figure out ways to get to that. But the Trump supporter thing, that was hard. And I think if, if if it had been the kind of thing where if it was a new script and a new character, because it's new, I could have dove into it and said, okay, let me figure out how this guy works. But I think there was a sense of, wait, I, I've been someone else for 19 episodes of this the run of the first show, and we never talked about wow. him being... A conservative, much less a Trump supporter. So
0: how do you add that in to sort of make right. it consistent? exactly. Oh, my god.
1: Exactly. I voted for Trump. Right, which is a true sign of our firm's diversity yeah, right here. But more importantly, he was voted into office to clean the swamp, mm-hmm. to stop the business-as-usual attitude in D.C. Oh, come on, Julius. Now, now, let Julius talk. Now, he may disagree with the rest of us, but he has a right to speak. That's right. I voted for Trump, but I think no president is above the law. Amen. And that is why At the beginning of every season, they have um, a lovely kind of meeting with the writers and the actors to say, this is what we think is going to happen for you this season, kind of sort of arc it out for wow. you. Wow. Which is lovely. And it was a chance for me to kind of ask some questions. There was already sort of a, a, a structure for me in terms of I can't suddenly be a crazy person. But it just didn't feel sincere or or true to what had been established over those other seasons on right. the other show on The Good mm-hmm. Wife, and um, we have a really diverse writing writers room, which is great. That's one. It yeah. shows. It you really can feel it. Well, it has to.
0: It's
1: yeah. A black. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: By them having different ways to be black, exactly. Be, as we've all always known exactly. that there are
1: different ways to be black. Yes, there were enough black people in the room mm-hmm. to actually have that conversation. And and wisely enough, Robert King, he had the wisdom to sort of sit back and let us have that conversation, mm-hmm. which was really great. That and is... we talked about the fact that one of the writers, an African-American young man who is also gay, who is also from the South, whose, whose parents were also Republicans growing up, we got to have that whole, wow. I'm from... A military family, even though we were all Democrats, but my grandfather was as patriotic as they were all. You know, my grandfather was in Korea, my uncles were in Vietnam, my great grandfather was in World War II. You know, these were patriotic men. And so what I think we were able to get to in that meeting was a kind of take on patriotism that I, Michael Boatman, could understand. You know, no actor wants to hate his own character. You want to be able to advocate for his or her perspective as forcefully as you can. The one interesting thing they, new thing they gave me, they said, well, we think he's Catholic and we think he has like six or seven kids, which puts him sort of firmly into a pro-life. And I was like, I get that. All right. Pro-choice myself, but I understand. So what that meeting did was they gave me ways to kind of get in so that he was not a rabid Trump supporter. He was somebody who voted party line, holding holding his nose nose sort of thing.
0: And there are many, many people who did that. And I really like the fact that he's that kind of Trump supporter. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's a really interesting portrayal of someone that's educated, Mm -hmm. that isn't just from a flyover state or working class or, you know, as Trump himself said, I love my low information, my low educational voters.
1: Wow. After the first episode where my character was revealed to be a trump supporter you know the next day you can't walk through the streets of new york city without someone saying did things happen oh my god tell us a woman on the street a black woman she walked past me It must have been a week or two after because it's you know it's cbs all access and you don't know how many people are watching you right can, you know that it's not the same as network this black woman walks by me and she goes i'm so disappointed in you how could you and i said excuse me i don't I don't know. How could you vote for Trump? (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait. Wait. It's a character. It's a part. I, when I watched you on The Good Wife, I never, if I had known, she went to this whole other place. If I had known you were going to be that kind of person, I would never, I always defended you. She had a whole relationship. But see what I, (laughs) what I love about this and playing this character at this time is if you have a black character on your show, that character must do this, or must be or represent mm-hmm. this. As if black people are monolithic, as if we right. all think the same way, are the from the same, same, same place. And it's such a simple thing, and you would think that people, by now, would have gotten that. And I think we are, sort of. but Here
0: and there. Here and there. Oh, no. Here and there we are. Nancy with such a deep sigh. No, your show is demonstrating that. But the burden that that puts on us to be and represent everything like that, it makes it hard to just be creative. And it's
1: impossible. Yeah. But guess what? There's some things. My daughter, my kids teach me stuff every day. They really do about all of this. I said I made the mistake a few weeks ago. I had gone to pick up my daughter from a volleyball tournament and she was coming toward the car with a couple of girls I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't. I'd never seen before. So she gets in the car, says goodbye to them, gets in the car, and I say, "Oh, who were those girls?" And she names so and so. This was, uh, this is Amy. This is whoever. And then I said, "Oh, and who, who was the who was the little Asian girl?" My sixteen-year-old daughter went, "Dad, that's racist." And I said, "What?" She said, "Why would you say she was Asian?" I said, "Because she's Asian. Yeah. There's only one Asian." kid in the group and that's the one I but you didn't have to say she was Asian I was like well how were you gonna know who I was talking about and she said she wears glasses she's number eight she had pigtails she was wearing purple shorts she was and by the time she was done I said oh yeah I guess you're
0: I okay I... yeah I mean it can... I just went
1: for the expediency it's like a little Asian girl this group of folks it's racist to mention race. Uh,
0: I, I, I yeah. I, I have different. Yeah. I always felt there was a period of time where I thought, uh, you know, we are all one. Yes. We don't see race, and then I was like, no. If you don't see race, you're blind. You need to see, uh, and, and then go. Nuances. Oh, we have a lot in common. Right. You're this. You're that. But we. Yeah. Right. But you know.
1: Don't Yeah.
0: Yeah. Don't mention. Why can't you yeah, deal with that? A scary. Yeah. It's it's a
1: very now listen.
0: But I understand they're young. Yeah, I get it. Kumbaya. I just have to quickly ask you about all because one of the things that I've always admired about you is you. You work and you have always, always been able to get along Mm. in some very tough situations, tough casting situations. I mean, you were in the original Spin City with Michael J. Fox. Yeah. He was going through his, you know, mm-hmm. he had his coming out as someone with Parkinson's. That yeah. cast change. You've worked with Charlie Sheen.
1: Yeah.
0: How are you able to get along with uh, in sometimes difficult situations? You know,
1: weirdly enough, I've been really fortunate in that. Uh, like, I just saw Michael recently because he did an episode of the season of season four of the Good. How Part. is he? He is making his way. He is making his way. And he's done a few Good Wives, and so he's known. Everybody on the set knows him there too. Good Good Wives and the Good Fight, but it's it, it has progressed. But he's still the same person. You know, he's you know there, and he really, really wants to do a good job and get it right. Um, and I think as a friend, you sit and you see this person who you see struggling with this condition, and you you're your heart aches for them, but I don't think his heart aches for himself. I know it doesn't. You know what I mean? He wants to get his lines right. You know, he wants to get the performance right. You know, with regard to Charlie, Charlie is one... I've been so fortunate in that he's been very controversial in lots of ways because of his own personal Struggles, issues. yeah. This is Charlie Sheen. Yeah, but he's got the biggest heart of anybody He's literally one of the most generous people I've ever known. I don't know what happens when he goes into his altered places because I'm not there. I don't know what his sobriety status is now. But, um, you know, I I have witnessed him going down that path. And I think also he's sort of just trying to be honest about what my experience has been with him because in a very odd way he and i are we bonded in a way that michael and i didn't even though michael and i did bond and we are friends for those who don't remember charlie sheen took Took over over for michael j fox and so we went to the abc upfronts which are the thing where actors go every year to uh To a network function Mm -hmm. where all of the sponsors and the local channels from all over the country come and to, hey, meet the stars of your favorite shows kind of thing. And you, you know, show pony, you go and shake hands (laughs) and take Take pictures pictures. with, you know, the uh, guy who owns the ABC affiliate in Great Falls, Montana kind of thing, (laughs) Um, which are always fun. And so the year that Michael was leaving and Charlie was taking over, um, Charlie had just gotten out of rehab. Um, at the time. And he was thin as, you know, he was, he just, his, all of the suit he was wearing was, he was just floating around. Oh my it. goodness. And, you know, I was there with Alan Rock and Richard Kind and Barry Bostwick and Michael J. Fox was on stage. And Michael J. Fox has become one of those people. I've learned that there are certain celebrities that, based on not only their fame as performers or whatever, but also because of whatever they, their personal story. They just walk into a room and people start spontaneously applauding. Mm. Michael J. Fox is one of those people. I've seen it. I saw it with Michael J. Fox. I've seen it with Muhammad Ali. And I saw it with Sidney Poitier. <gasps> just happening to be in a restaurant where Sidney Poitier walks in and people just, sorry. Oh. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my God. Wow. And that's, and Michael J. Fox, wow. people just immediately. Um, and Charlie is that. Because of all of his struggles, I think people understand that he is struggling with elements of himself. Hmm. You know what I mean? He, uh, I love him. I love Charlie Sheen so much that, you know, we call each other brothers from another mother. And oh. He, like I said, he is, he's just a, a generous spirit that I think, you know, he grew up in, in, in Hollywood literally with um, a famous father, you know, he grew up with Nicolas Cage and and Sean Penn, and he said we had access to everything anytime from <gasps> the time we were twelve years old. And Can you even imagine what that must be like? Right. Yeah. Right.
2: Gosh.
1: And and the world has always loved them, loved him, and it loved you know what I mean. And so I've gotten to work with people that I like, yeah. and that seem to. I don't think I've been. I. I. I, I I've had a couple that weren't so great. Right. Um but mostly it's just been fun and that everyone seems to want to do the best work that we can do.
0: Eyeballs he keep, jabbing his finger, he look, kinda rumble he claim. All college will be free. Not one single detail that you students can see. up yelling he say health insurance he go won't cost you nothing his boys trolling on twitter he said that's not my fault they're not me not a new idea since 1973 get it together all you democrats even aoc In Congress, Bernie, ain't done nothing, he don't like folks with money, cause he jealous of money, he say, one and one and one is three, bitch to spoil the sport, to give support to Hillary, get it together, lefties and centrists. you better listen to me. And now for a new Giles Files segment about the people we come in contact with every day that we don't even realize are part of the fabric of our lives. Those working people who we take for granted. We at the Giles Files see you. We appreciate you. Meet our Weekday Warriors. We're going to kick off with a shout out to the Malibu Diner in Hoboken, New Jersey, where producer Nancy White and I go for our very intense breakfast meetings, where we discuss podcast content and try to solve the world's problems. Seriously, whenever we're at the Malibu Diner, though, we get a booth in our favorite waitresses' section. Tell us your name,
2: Suraya Bedouin. I like the place. I like my boss. I know the people. The people know me. I like the customer. And they respect me, and I respect my customer. It's not just to work. You got to like what you're doing, and you got to respect your work. You take your work serious. It's not a game. It's not you going there for fun. Any kind of job. It don't matter what kind of job you have. And I think I am doing a good job. Because I have my steady customers, people, and I'm so happy people come look for me. Sometimes even if I don't have a table, people stand by the door, wait for my table, and the other tables is empty, other station, but people still wait for me, and that's make me feel good. Okay, you know you have to take everybody's mood. Okay. Don't expect everybody to be happy with you because some people is upset and they they have their own problem And some people even that's their personality, you know I I turn it back most of the time You know what I mean? They even come so strong at me, I try to be extra nice to them so they turn around and to be nice to me and and later on, they be my customer and they're looking for me. And you could turn the people around, actually. You could do that. I don't take it like even if they got upset with me or something. It's not personal. It upset me. I'm a, I'm a human being in the end of it. I don't take it too hard. I try to please them. And who, people see that. People see that. People see when you try to please them, they calm down. They try to be nice to you too. And that's how it worked. This table left me little money. Next table leave you better tips, And that's how it balances. Somebody leave you a dollar. And somebody else is supposed to be leave you two dollars. leave you five dollars. And that's, don't cry for every table. Like today, that's what happened with me. I was, it was so slow. It was very slow. But I got a couple of good table, And in the end of the day, I made a couple of hundred dollars. Oh
0: my gosh. Storytelling, narrating, telling tales Spinning a yarn, running your mouth Talking about stuff The Oxford Dictionary defines storytelling As the social and cultural activity of sharing stories Sometimes with improvisation Theatrics Or embellishment and parts of stories that are pretty crucial when you tell a story are plot, characters, you know, and they're different story themes like the quest, uh tragedy, some kind of rebirth, a rags to riches story. All kinds of stories are out there waiting to be told. Oh yeah, How yeah. How many books yeah. have you
1: written? I've written four. Wow. They've all been published two. By this company, Angry Robot, which is a the science fiction <laughs> like that. arm. That's yeah. great. Are oh, they I all science fiction books? Yeah, science fiction. They're the science fiction arm, I believe, of Random House. That's I think.
0: excellent. Name the title so we can get some book okay, sales going. My,
1: <laughs> the first one was called Last God Standing. It was about God who decides that he's had enough and he wants to live a mortal life. And so he, he incarnates himself into the life of a young African American comedian. Stand, Love you know, it uh, uh, on the it south side great. of Chicago. Who, but he wants to actually live this whole. So he he grows up with a pair of crazy parents, Barb and Herb, and um, all he wants to do is to be able to marry the girl of his dreams, who is a British African massage therapist. I Michael. Think. Anyway, and but the problem is that <laughs> when he left his post as God of everything. All of the other gods from all of the other old pantheons, the Greeks, the Romans, the Norse, some of the Africans, all of those gods come back to say, hey, uh, maybe I'll come, maybe I'll take your spot. So he ends up sort of essentially having uh, at the same time, some of these other gods start dying and who can kill a god? So he has to not only sort of keep the status quo going, which is essentially that humanity's pretty well on its own and good and it's okay and doesn't really need gods anymore. But also he has to figure out, well, who's killing all these old gods? So, you know, Zeus and all of these old, you know, and I'm a mythology freak from way back. And the second book that was published in that series is called Who Wants to Be the Prince of Darkness, which is sort of this, uh, uh, a different take on the same story only told from Lucifer's standpoint. So when God and Lucifer at the beginning of this sort of compact decided to give, up, give it up and play be humans – it's sort of the result of um, the second book is sort of springs out of the, f- the, the events of the first. So now we get to find out what Lucifer has been up to. And in fact, there are things happening in hell that Lucifer now living on earth as a, as a, as a publicist.
0: <laughs> has, <laughs> oh my God. I love that. Has
1: to figure out what's going on in hell. So he's got, to, he has, he has to go back and forth between like living his normal life and going to hell to figure out why like demons from hell are showing up at, on earth and, and and it's all set against sort of the backdrop of a reality show that takes place in hell and also on Earth. I, you know, don't all
0: of, reality you know, shows really take place in hell? They're all in their yeah, way?
1: absolutely demonic. <laughs> and, I know. Yeah. And there's two more. That uh, you wrote and up. the 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 very first book I wrote that was published is called *Revenant Road*, which I I love this story. It's a story about a writer, Obadiah Grudge, is his name who turns out he's a mystery writer and he discovers that his father, his long-deceased and, um, what's the word, absented or estranged father, father. Uh was actually the world's greatest monster hunter. So that, that he lives in a world where there are vampires and werewolves and ghosts and spirits and all kinds of things. And as a result of his estranged father's death, all of these creatures now come looking for him, sort of thinking, Hey, we want revenge for the stuff your old man did. Meanwhile, he had no idea that the world was filled with monsters and So those were the three that were published, you know, in out in there and they're all available on Amazon. And
0: That's so impressive.
1: Website. The great thing was I had um I had suffered a leg injury and I couldn't walk for like twelve weeks and I couldn't work. What it's happened? A bad story, but a good story. Okay, go for it. All right. Uh, around Christmas, we had come back after having the holidays in, in Ohio and um, our friends who had been watching our house and watching the dog and everything had just, you know, we're sort of cleaning up and getting ready to leave. And my wife asked me before she went to bed, hey, um, can you take out the trash? Of course, it's what I do. And so I take out the trash. It's midnight or something. And as I'm going to uh, push the button to open my garage door, I sort of have this heavy, heavy trash bag, and I swing it, I turn to um, push the the button for the garage door, and when I turn back, something hits me in the back of the leg, at my ankle, by my ankle. It hits me really hard and a really sharp pain. Like, what? And I immediately, have you ever gone into shock from an injury? I, I was in shock, and I didn't realize it. Because something had happened, and I didn't even look down because it was dark. What I did was I took a step forward, thinking I just been stabbed. Somebody just stabbed me. What? And I look around, looking for the person yeah. who stabbed me. And as I take a step forward, my leg sort of buckles under me, oh, and I fall no, to one no. knee. One of our friends had broken a ceramic turkey platter. You know, like and you put, put, it it put it in the garbage. In the garbage. What is wrong? So when I swung around, the bag swung back and hit me. And cut my Achilles tendon.
0: Oh, that's awful! <laughs> oh, oh
1: my god, it's horrible. I, I hate telling that story. That but
0: just is so. Old. I know. I and then know. you took a step.
1: And then I took a step, oh, and everything man. went so wobbly, so wobbly, so wobbly, so wobbly, so wobbly, 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 wobbly. Well, you recover from that? You're obviously. Yeah, wobbly. that's a yeah.
0: hard injury to get over. It is. <sighs> it
1: is. I still. I still. This is a long time ago, and it's. Uh, you know, what was fortunate about it. It was not what they call a total rupture. You know, you hear the basketball players when they have the thing and it snaps and it rolls up the back of your leg like a like your you know, like a shape. Okay. Like, oh, sorry. Okay, okay, this was it. not that. This was a this was a partial rupture. So what it meant was they would. Uh, I hopped into the house, uh, my shoe filled with blood. Oh <laughs> Jesus! I woke up my wife. I go, you got to take me to the hospital. She says, why? I go, I cut my Achilles tendon. I knew what I had done. I knew it. You can feel it, yeah.
0: yeah. Oh, Jesus.
1: We go to the hospital. Doctor looks at me, and he goes, yep, yep. The next day, I go to this orthopedic guy. They look, they x-ray, and they see, oh, you're okay. It's a 50% rupture, not the full deal. So what we're going to do is put your foot in a cast, and you won't be able to walk for 12 weeks. And then you'll have to do physical therapy. <sighs> now, this also happened to be the time, the very first time ever in my life, I got two job offers without having to audition. Oh, my I'd gosh. never... So, you start to think again, like I said, not religious, don't really like the term spiritual because everyone says that and it sounds so, it's such weak tea. But well,
0: because the people who always are saying that are like the most evil psycho, incarnate. Yeah, yeah. psychos.
1: Yeah. But there are these moments where you just go, what? Oh, what am I gosh. supposed to learn? What? Oh, what's the lesson here? Right. Yeah. What's the lesson? Yeah. But out of that, I started writing because I had nothing else to do. And my buddy Don Cheadle came over one day oh. to say, Hey, what's going on? And I was sitting there on the couch, bearded, horrible, and just in my midst of my, you know, darkness. And he said, "Hey, what are you doing?" And I said, "What do you mean? What am I doing?" He said, "You got to do something." And I said, "I can't do anything. I can't walk." He said, "Do something creative." And I said, "Well, yeah, I'm an actor. I uh, there's nothing. to I, I, That's what I do." And He said, "Well, have you ever wanted to like make a pot or write music or learn to play the guitar or something?" And I went, oh, "Maybe I'll write a screenplay. I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> and laptops that were becoming sort of popular at the time. So after he left, I thought, I said, well, I guess, and I had been thinking about writing that stuff. And so six, 12 weeks of nothing. And, and, uh, that was sort of what was stretching out in front of me. So I, I got my laptop out and I wrote this horrible screenplay, but the moment of satisfaction of writing the end yeah. and then having this thing in your hands of, Oh my God, I, I can I, I can do something. That's so fantastic. I can do something else. I can you know what I mean? No, was was that before the books? Yes, that was okay. before the books. So
0: that's why you had to cut
1: go. Uh, yes yeah that's absolutely right. I and guess, you're writing right. a quote
0: unquote "bad screenplay, yeah. getting that done also is helpful in the writing that comes after. No that. question about yeah. it.
1: it. sort of it sort of pointed me in all kinds of directions. I went and I sort of self-educated and I bought every book on writing that I could, you know, 12 weeks, you know yeah. nothing to do. Um, and yeah, and then I started writing short stories, and then those started getting published, and I started getting little checks from those. And <gasps> what?
0: between doing imitations of stuff and making up commercials for (laughs) Chitlin Circuit plays. I remember all these things that he would do that would make me laugh. I knew you were a natural storyteller. Well, that's our show. Thanks to our guests, Saraya Bedoui, the coolest waitress at the Malibu Diner in Hoboken. And thanks to our great friend, actor and writer, Michael Boatman. You can buy Michael's books on Amazon.com. And be sure to check him out on The Good Fight on CBS All Access. Ooh, we love that show. Both of us bought all three seasons. We're dying for season four, which premieres Thursday, April 9th. Thank God. The Giles Files was created by Nancy Giles and Nancy Wyatt. Produced, directed, and edited by Nancy Wyatt. And recorded at our studios in Weehawken, New Jersey. We'll be back soon with another BAFO episode of The Giles Files. Okay?